Welcome back to Written by Grimes, the podcast. This week, we chat with Jason Glavin, the author of Going Places, Why You Should Travel. Jason and I sit down and have a fantastic discussion about what it's like to be an independent author publishing their first book. The excitement, the worry, the anxiety, and all of the things in your life that kind of lead up to that moment. It's a very interesting conversation, and I'm glad that you could join us for it today. So without further ado, let's go places with Jason Glavin. Welcome to Written by Grimes, the podcast. Thanks, Abby. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that you've come. And that we're finally able to do this. We have had quite a number of technical difficulties leading up to this moment. So I'm excited. Today we have with us Jason Glavin, the writer of Going Places, Why We Should Travel. I know that is probably a bit of a funny title or a funny topic for a book in a, in a COVID world, but uh, we are emerging from it gradually, slowly, but surely. And so I just want people to be ready to hit the ground running when we finally can get out and see the world again. So Yeah, absolutely. And I got to say the time read it, you book. enjoy it. The timing was perfect because as I was reading it, the discussions about getting back out there and different ideas about how we can travel were very much part of the popular conversation. So that was, uh, it was really timely. Good job. Good job with your, with your publication. Thank you. Well, well, I had the book, yeah, I had the book basically sitting, waiting, ready to go. And I was thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until everything opens up and everyone's trying. And then, you know, you started to feel like we were running towards the horizon. I thought this is going to go on a little longer than maybe I thought. So let's just get the book out there and uh, yeah, we'll make we'll make the best of what we have in the world. Not only that, but it's a good primer for folks who, like me, don't necessarily travel a lot. And folks like you who love to travel. And it gets me thinking about, hmm what do I want to do when things clear up a bit and I'm willing to get on a plane? And for you, you're probably already waist deep in research about where you're going next and next after that and after that. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Well, in a way that the the book came about perhaps because of the pandemic, because like so many people, we suddenly had all this time on our hands. We're sitting at home. You can only surf the internet for so long you can only binge watch netflix for so long i thought i gotta do something a little more constructive i've got some more time on my hands well i started thinking as you say couldn't travel but i was kind of reliving a lot of my early travels and i'd always wanted to write a book but i could never convince myself that there was a topic that i I consider myself an expert on, but the more I thought about it, I thought, well, if I dive into this, I've got lots of experience on my side, do the research. And um, I had a little extra time because, you know, the rest of our life was kind of the world had shrunk down to size, basically to the size of our homes. So here I was with my uh, pen and paper and my laptop, and I thought I'm going to dive into this. So in a strange way, the the pandemic may have been uh, the catalyst for, for this book. And it's interesting that you you say that. I know for different people that um, the pandemic hit differently for for them with regard to their creative life. Some 
folks, it was completely on hold and remains on hold as they try to, you know, navigate this space. And other people were able to tap into a well that had been there, but they just, for whatever reason, hadn't been willing to or hadn't had the time to set aside to actually write a book. And here you are. You found that opportunity, and that's great. So you said that you've always wanted to write a book. How long have you had this desire in you to write a book? Well, my first memory of writing, Abby, came actually, and it's funny the things you can remember so distinctly. I remember in grade two, and I don't know if it's still the practice in schools now, but the teacher, if they were really impressed, you got a bunch of stickers mm -hmm. on your uh, on your submission, and this was some sort of writing contest, and I won it, and you know the page was covered with stickers. <laughs> I thought, what a thrill, right? And um, as I progressed through school, loved writing short stories, loved being creative went to university for English, not so much I felt drawn to it as I just didn't know what else to do at the time. So that gave me a few more years to read, study some of the great works, uh, hone my own writing. And then fast forward to the last five years or so, I started to journal on a daily basis, two or three pages longhand. It was more just for a personal thing. I found it was good for my mental health. It really helped me uh, work out problems, goal set, come to some solutions. Sometimes it was just like an emotional dump. But I got so much into that habit that uh, I was able to start to turn off the editor because as, as you know, as a writer, you can't really write and edit at the same time. Yeah. You have to really let it flow, especially in that first draft. So I really started to set the stage and I started to think to myself, boy, I'd really like to write a book. This is this great grand goal of mine, but I really didn't know where to go with it because I thought I, I'm not really an expert on anything. And then the pandemic came along and uh, like so many people, I had a lot of time on my hands and I thought, uh, you know, what am I going to do with, you know, this extra time? So I started thinking about some of the experiences in my life. I kept coming back to my travels and I thought, well, there it is. That's That's what I know. That's what I'm good at. So that's really how it all started. And I actually, I thought I'm starting a book, but I have no idea if I'm going to finish it. I don't know where this yeah, is going. Yeah. It felt scary, but it felt thrilling at the yeah, same yeah. time. And and that's where it just happened to me. It just unfolded page by page. And then one day, as you know, it's not a neat and tidy process. One day I, I had a book. I, I did it, right? And uh, it was a thrill. So So that's how it really came about for me. That's really exciting. And, and I really like how organic that was as a process for you. I didn't know that you went to, to a university and studied English as your BA. I know that you have an MBA. Right. Uh, how did you make that decision? Like, where in your life did you decide that, okay, English isn't, isn't the thing. Let's, let's do business administration instead. Yeah, I don't know if there's there's obviously not a direct link there. The, the MBA for me came along a few years ago. I got to a stage in my career where things felt a little stagnant. Mm -hmm. I need a challenge. I need something to do. Uh, so that was something. I, I have an interest in economics, finance, the way the world of money works. So I thought, I'm going to, I want to study this. I'm going to dive in. It was more a personal aspiration. I wanted to learn something. And so for two years, I got up early on the weekends, got up early in the weekdays, hit the books, wrote all these essays. It went really well. And I got to the end and it was a relief to be done. Mm -hmm. And for about three or four weeks, I had all this empty time. 
And then you know what happened? I got I thought, oh, I kind of miss having something to, to chew on, to, a nice big goal to work at. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do now? And I yeah. thought, well, I had this book idea in the back burner. I, I proved to myself I had the discipline to, you know, set aside the time to study and learn and write. Well, let's put this towards a book. Yeah. So, so the MBA for me, it was it was a personal interest thing, but it also set the psychological, yeah, yeah. The, the discipline, the psychological structure to to sit down and, and write a book. That's amazing, actually. That that is so important to to understand when you set your your mind to to writing a book you have to really kind of grapple with the fact that it's going to take a lot of time. It is not, a, you know, a quick and easy process. It's often long and dirty. <laughs> it's a grind. I like that word dirty because yeah. some people may have this romanticized version about being an author. They just see the book release. They see someone being interviewed, the beautiful cut. It is It is a grind. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not... It's not most days where, yeah, I'm going to write. It's like, okay, I'm going to write. Let's do this. And you got to, it's like trying to stick to an exercise habit, right? Sometimes just getting to the gym is half the battle, right? Oh, it's yeah. Just getting getting in front of the computer, getting in front of the page. And, and yeah, you got to grind it out some days. <sighs> Speaking from personal experience, I know um, the writing can be difficult getting that that motivation to sit down in front of the page to let your ideas pour out just that that initial like that barricade right it's the i gotta do it but once it starts once the words start to flow from for the most part you're kind of floating down the river kind of thing but for me a lot of my hesitancy comes when it's time to edit so there is another part of that discipline that's required. So you've written it. Hooray! It's done. Yeah. Now you have to look at it again. <laughs> and you have mm -hmm. to read those words that you put down. And try, you know, without too much judgment, to work through making it the best possible piece you can. And that requires a level of discipline that's, that's different from the discipline required to sit down and write in the first place. Did you find that editing was a challenge for you or was it was it the same kind of challenge as, as sitting down to write the book great question there for me there are two different things when I was writing that first draft it was all about the flow and just letting the ideas come not judging good or bad just letting it go yeah and then when I got to the editing process I basically had to put on my uh, my my black hat so to speak and get into that mindset to really pull it apart and the first few times i tried to edit it was really tough i was i thought oh i've written this wonderful book and then when i got to the end, I'm like, oh this isn't so <laughs> this is terrible right I, I swung from one side to the next and then the further i got along i, I moved more into the middle but it is a completely different mindset yeah. um when i write that first draft i feel like i'm the artist and i realize what I love about writing and then when I get to the editing stage I feel like I'm almost more like a business person and I'm really uh, being almost technical analytical really looking at each sentence each word uh, each paragraph really breaking it down and then really this the, the writing process is very flowing but the editing can be very like you're like you're you're fighting your way through. It's not yeah. a, a straight A to B sort of process. So for me, there were there were two two different things for sure. Um, 
one of the smarter things I did was after I finished the first book or the first draft of my book was I set it aside for a few weeks. Yeah. I thought, oh, I'm exhausted from writing. I got to get a break. I got to fill my creative well and then come back with fresh you eyes. You need fresh eyes. Absolutely. Yeah. You need fresh eyes. And part of those fresh eyes, like you said, you put on your black hat, you need to, you've coddled your, your inner creator, the artist, as you've said, but you need to come at it with like swords and you know, if it needs to go, it, it's got to go. You might have loved that sentence, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on here. And it doesn't help your 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 cause at all. It's got to go. And I found that for myself kind of grappling with that emotional part. Like, oh, but I really love that scene about the coffee cup. Who cares? Yeah. Take it out. It doesn't mean As anything. As a writer, though, you almost, you almost feel like that's your baby, right? Well, exactly. I'm the, I'm the mother of that that excerpt right but another party says for the sake yeah we gotta we gotta go it has to go yeah Yeah. so i i hear you and it can be painful but like you said you have to come back to it you need to set it aside i'm glad that you did and um come back at it with with fresh eyes a new perspective and a willingness to carve off the the excess to leave like the perfect thing underneath yeah, people that worked for Walt Disney, uh, I read this a few years ago, said that there are dis- different aspects of his personality that, that really mirror that creative process. Uh, some people referred to it as Walt the Dreamer. He would come into a room, he'd be all starry-eyed. He'd talk about theme parks and movies and new characters and have all these wonderful ideas. And then a few days later, he'd walk into the meeting and you could tell they said he, he looked different and they referred to that as Walt the Critic. And he just tore everything to shreds. But you can see the usefulness of both. You got to create, yeah. and then you got to strip away the access and cut what's what's not there. That's that can be the brutal part of the creative process. But it it really is. It's so necessary to yeah. get to to that 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 finished product. And as as the artist, as the person who is going to be receiving the criticism from somebody like Walt Disney, I can imagine that you know you've painted this fantastical world based on you know his dream he's come in he's like oh i want to see waterfalls over here and i like i want a waterfall on top of a waterfall coming out of a mountain and you're like okay and here's the thing and he comes in he's like who told you to put a a second waterfall on a mountain like that it doesn't make any sense right and and as writers (laughs) we're we do that to ourselves exactly exactly put this in here what was i thinking that day right yeah yeah Oh, how many times have I said, what was I thinking? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I feel like the, the, the writing process is a real psychological test sometimes. And it's those days where I'm really struggling to get things out, but I persevere where I actually, I get to the end of, I'm glad I wrote today, right? Right. It's one thing to write, and it's so enjoyable. I've had it a handful of times where you're just in this wonderful flow headspace and things are just flying by and you lose all sense of time. It's a glorious place to be. Yeah. But um, other times it's 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 dirty, it's gritty, and, you're and... slogging through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a in fiction. Uh, your book is a nonfiction book. In fiction, they call it, the, and I, I would imagine that they call it the same thing uh, for just writing books in general. But the muddy middle. Okay. Yeah. So in the beginning, you're you're really excited about the story, and yep. and you know. You think you know where it's going, and you're just writing, 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 right, and it's, right. it's your whole heart. 
and then you hit that middle piece that needs to tie it to the end that you've drummed up and you're like what am i supposed to write in here that's and that's where you're just kind of slogging yes. through yes I love that. I've I've also heard of it as the the marathon and the middle marathon and the marathon in the middle. You get uh, 25, 30 pages in, you've you've dumped all your enthusiasm onto the page. Yeah. You're excited about a new book, and then you think, oh, I'm I'm only 10, 15 percent into it. What am I going to write about now? <laughs> right. And maybe you've thought about the ending, but there's this whole huge block in the middle in that you've got to. Yeah. That's where I kind of am right now in the book I'm currently writing I've I'm about 150 pages in but I'm hitting the limits of my circle of competence my 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 knowledge base and I'm having to slow down and do some research and, right. and rely on some other ideas because I'm I'm kind of hitting that block now and I need some help so I'm I'm, I'm right in the middle of that marathon oh good <laughs> have you set a daily um word count limit for yourself if you're like do you write every day Let's start there. No, I mean that's part of the. Uh, I think that's that's part of the side effect of of having a, a toddler at home. Uh, <laughs> my son doesn't really care if I'm working on a book, but I the way I approach it right now is prior to having the, a son. Yeah, I, I had a very set schedule. Right now, it's it's flowing. It's a little more organic. One of my writing mentors is Joanna Penn. She's a British. Uh, she's a novelist. She writes uh, historical thrillers, mm -hmm. but she also writes a lot of how-tos on uh, the writing process. And she refers to it as uh, writing at the edges of your life or writing at the margins of your life. Yes. So I, I tend to get a lot of writing done in 20 or 30 minute stints, mm -hmm. basically as my day allows it. Maybe I woke up early. Maybe I'm at the end of the day, the house is quiet. It is amazing though, if you can get into even 15, 20 minutes into that headspace and really block things out, doesn't seem like much in one day, but it really piles up over several months. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I am right now. Obviously for me, um, family is especially my number one priority. So writing is taking a bit of a backseat. My normally ambitious writing schedule has, has been scaled back somewhat, but I do know I'll eventually reach a stage in my life where there will be larger blocks for writing. But I'm so enjoying of the process and so engaged in the process. I'm still working to find those little blocks of time. I find for myself, the best time for me is first thing in the morning. So, and I, I try to, though it hasn't happened in the past couple of weeks. I get up a little bit early and I plunk myself down on the porch and I have my laptop and stare off into space and get to work. And for about an hour or so in the morning, just to have that time, whether I'm working on the podcast or I'm working on, uh, I'm editing a novel right now. So if I'm if I'm editing or if I'm writing something new, taking that time to dedicate to it is very important. It, it gives you, or me anyway, some balance in my life, right? I can say that yes, I've dedicated some time to the craft and now on with the rest of the show kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I'm early morning person too. I love to write first thing in the morning. My energy is highest. My mind is clear. Mm -hmm. Before emails and Twitter and everything else going on in your life starts to crowd in, it's it's nice to have that that quiet space. Yes. And um, so I'm I'm an early morning writer too. Sometimes I I'll get to the end of the day and I think 
I'm gonna write, but then there's there's just nothing left, right? Yeah. So at that, usually I'm I'm pretty good on myself. I'll say, you know what, it's it's not gonna happen today. Um, if I can barely keep my eyes open, there's <laughs> there's there's not a lot of production coming. So first thing in the morning, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And I would imagine, that particularly for the the genre that you write in, if you don't have the you know the mental capacity at that point like if you're you know tired at the end of the day and you're not able to kind of pull the correct information from inside your brain from the research that you've done sitting in front of that blank page can be incredibly frustrating i can completely understand why you wouldn't want to necessarily put yourself through that yeah and and in that sort of mind space or situation i might say well I, I do still want to accomplish something, so maybe tonight I'll just focus on something a little more passive. Oh, I got to do a little bit of research here. I'll read these articles. So I, I'm thinking, because I'm a big believer that even when we're not actively writing, I feel like subconsciously there's something going on. Oh, yeah. uh, the ideas are pulling together. So if I can at least kind of fill the well, get some good information in there, next time if I have more energy, things are going to go that much better. Yeah, absolutely. Have you heard of uh, National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo? No. What's that all about, Abby? Okay. So NaNoWriMo is this international challenge that writers take on in the month of November. So the challenge is to write 50,000 words in the month of November. So you have from the 1st until the 30th to accomplish that goal. It is quite difficult, but if you can do it, then it's awesome. It's this challenge where you make that commitment to putting down 50,000 words, which technically is a, a novel length. Um, and in order to do that, you have to hit a daily goal of 1,667 words a day. There's this website you can go on to, nanorimo.org, I believe it is. And uh, I'll put the link in the podcast description where you set up your profile and it charts your work every day. And it's a really great motivator for people who are a little bit competitive and you can watch each other's progress so you can encourage each other as you're working to towards your goal and uh, absolutely for sure when i've done this there have been days when i've written 37 words <laughs> i did not meet my 1667 goal at all and my writing buddies are like what's going on they're reaching out for, with support and that's it's a great way to extend your writing community and it's also, you know, a great personal challenge for yourself. If you're interested, check it out. There's a Durham region group and uh, there's meets where, you know, you can write. Everybody brings their laptop and, you know, have a little bit of community, but meeting your numbers as well. So maybe when the world opens up again, they'll I, be right I, in. Like I that. love the concept. 50,000 words in one month. That's, yeah. That is not playing around. That's that's serious no. business. Uh, that's That number jumps out at me because of my current book. I'm just past the 50,000 word mark on my Ooh. first draft, Ooh, nice. which I started in March and wow. it's now August. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's what, five months? <laughs> <laughs> but there are, um, the productivity of, of some writers, some novelists just blows my mind. I'm thinking of some of the really huge names, like apparently Nora Roberts, the uh, mystery writer. She puts out a novel literally every three months. Yeah. Right? And it, she must just, have a certain process something else uh, I haven't experimented with but uh, some people are uh, practice writing uh, talking it out 
Um, you know, they'll go for a walk and they'll basically talk out. And um, if you can get into that flow, I think you can you can get some pretty massive word counts. I can't really speak to that myself. Yeah. Uh, one transition I made from my first book to my second book. My first book, I basically wrote longhand, developed a sore wrist and, and, and ran <laughs> through a lot of pens. But what I found was, and now I do all my writing straight on a laptop, which yeah. suits me better. I found when I was writing uh, longhand, my hand basically couldn't keep up with my mind. Now, right. some people will say really um, are big supporters of that. They say there's a, there's, a mind, there's a connection between the hand and the mind. For me, I found it just moved a little too slowly for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the laptop, it just, things were quicker and it was, it was a better match for my thinking style and my thinking pace. I don't know if I uh, if I tried to write a book by dictation how that would work because you're moving at a faster speed again. Right, and I don't know exactly. if that's too fast for me. So well, and I think what would be interesting if you were to write a book by dictation. I know a couple of the people in my writing group do in fact do that. Is that they it flows easier and you have that moment where. If you're, you, you know, you've turned off your inner, your inner editor, some pure gold can come out there because whether you want to admit it or not, you're going to edit what's coming out of your brain, even as you're, you're writing and you might try to turn that off. There's still going to be that, oh, no, not, not this, that. So as it's just kind of flowing out of your mouth, you have that like pure, pure thought that's coming out and you can deal with the, the consequences of that in the editing I find it really interesting that you wrote your, your first book, Going Places, by hand. That's amazing. And now that you've, you've moved on with your second book to, to typing it out, given that you, you wrote the first book by hand, did you type it out at the editing process? Yeah, so what happened was, and now that it, it just dawned on me, I think the writing at longhand was just an extension of my journaling. That was how I journaled, so I thought when I write... So that was how that came to be. So yeah, I had I had several notebooks <laughs> just covered in ink. Yes. And then I sat down. I thought, I, I actually have to type this out. So then I typed it all out. And then I went and got it printed out. And then I, I marked it all up. So okay. um, I'm a little more high tech this time around. I'm just, I've gone straight to my computer. And, uh, but. Uh, when, when you were editing, uh, you said you marked it up when you got it printed. So you did edit by hand. Yeah, I liked doing that. It'll be interesting to see if I do that again. I may lean towards going through once. I like having it, when I get at the editing stage, having it physically in front of me. I don't know what the science is of it, but maybe it causes me to slow down a little bit as opposed to to having it on the screen in front of me. But uh, one thing I learned, I learned so many things through doing my first book. Uh, The the first book was essentially a one-person show. I basically was chief cook and bottle washer did everything start to finish but then I realized uh, other than the, the cover design because I'm, I'm hopeless at that sort of thing I would certainly recommend to myself and other first-time authors get some help in certain areas because I must have, I must have read my own book six seven eight times and edited it top and then after I published it I, I would read it I'd still find a typo here or something that didn't sound quite right here mm-hmm. so definitely I will at the very least be hiring a someone to proofread next time someone fresh 
I, and I think the reason why that works much more effectively is that person doesn't have any emotional attachment exactly. to it exactly yeah. yeah it's almost like you ever notice it's so much easier to solve someone else's problems or figure out someone else's life than your own I, I i think there's that dynamic there you're completely cut off you're you're more objective or at least as objective as us humans can be so even and you talked about even when you think you're being uncensored you're still censoring when you go to, to proofread and, and look for errors there's still a part of you i think that is still editing or creating and it's kind of drawing off some of your focus yes 100 so, yeah. i would still suggest that you do do a couple passes yourself before you hand it off to an editor because you don't want to be paying 10 cents a word for little things that you can pick up on your own absolutely and then for sure give it to someone else because they they don't have the attachment particularly if they're you know professional editors or like my editor is not a professional editor like that's not what he he does as a lip for a living he's a writer but he doesn't have the emotional connection to the work and he can be quite pointed with his <laughs> criticisms or cr critiques of my work so and i welcome it because it's a completely different perspective that i that i might have not had and it draws new light to things that i had perhaps taken for granted or you know i know the story inside and out or you know your book inside and out perhaps there's a piece there that while you know it the audience wouldn't know and so it takes somebody who doesn't know the story to point that little plot hole out to you and say, okay, well, I don't know how you got from here to here. There needs to be some information in here. And you're like, well, but of course, don't you under, and of course you understand. Exactly. But the audience wouldn't. Yeah. I know some more well-known authors essentially will do beta testing with a novel. They'll have a, a small circle of their most trusted, loyal readers that yeah. before they go wide, they they want their input, right? Because, uh, yeah, you, you, you know what you're trying to say. You understand your own thoughts. It seems clear as day to you, but yep. the person on the other side may not be able to put two and two together. Exactly. So you, you need that. And it, it is tough. I know it can be tough on your ego. I'm as, as sensitive as anyone, but it, uh, it's, it's part of the process. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up beta readers for the novel that I'm editing right now, when I, it was a, a NaNoWriMo project. It was the first novel that I, that I wrote and it's, it's my baby and I'm having a really hard time letting go of it, despite the fact that I, I needed to go and like be published and get out into the world. I'm, you know, it, it's not quite done. It's not quite done. And, uh, you know, my, my editor's like, get on with it. What is wrong with mm -hmm. <laughs> you? Know? Um, but I had given it to some beta readers and when I reached out to them, I'm like, okay, here it is. I have a questionnaire for you when you are done for you to kind of reflect back on it. I don't want you to, to do the questionnaire as you go, but when, when the book is done, here's the questionnaire, go through it and you know, no holds barred. Do not think you're going to offend me. Plunk in whatever it is, you know, you think where, where it needs work and, or where, it, you know, I got it right or whatever. And when I got those questionnaires back, boy, just, you know, your ego has to take a, a bit of a step back mm -hmm. and you say, okay, you know what? You wrote this from a particular perspective. These folks are reading it from their own personal perspectives. And, and as such, each questionnaire was a little bit like the answers were a little bit different. And, uh, you have to kind of take that information in 
and when I sat down to edit, keeping those elements in my mind, how I was going to address those issues. Now, that's not to say that anything anybody ever says about your work is valid, necessarily, or that you have to take whatever they've said, uh, you have to change the thing that they've said that you have to change. You, you need to kind of weigh that with what the story is trying to do and make your determination as to you know what you want to do with it at that point. But you need to get it out of your own space and hear what, what other folks are saying. So definitely get beta readers. If you want a beta reader, I'll, I'll beta read awesome. for you. Um, yeah. And that really is something uh, as authors that really is part of the process and it really is as tough as it can be. It's something that we should welcome, right? Yeah. Because if obviously I would love to write a book and sell a million copies, right? And if and if that happened, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be a massive amount of feedback, and a good amount of it is going to be bad, right? Yeah. So it's as a first time author, you know, I'm hearing lots of accolades. It's largely for my friends and family. You know? mm-hmm. I'll know I've I've made progress uh, as a writer when I start getting some negative feedback from strangers, right? That means I've <laughs> I've attracted enough attention just from outside my own inner circle that, okay, all right, you know, other people are starting to read, right? So so that criticism is going to find you one way or the other. So I think you you, you got to let it in. But as you say, uh, you got to stay true to to your craft, to your ideas. Not all criticism is valid. There's, there's, there's useful criticism and then there's maybe someone just venting. You think, oh, there's something else going on with that person that's not really indicative of me. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Anthony Horowitz. He's a, a famous British writer. He's actually been, writes a lot of uh, mysteries and thrillers. He's been contracted by the estate of Ian Fleming to continue the James Bond series. Yes. So he wrote a book a few years ago. He's got another one coming out in October. And I believe he's also been contracted to write Sherlock Holmes. And he said, uh, and his is quite a story. We see these big successes and we think, oh, that, that he was destined to be that. He said it wasn't until his 11th book that his career really took off. Yeah. His first 10 books did not sell that well. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, how many people would write 10 books and keep going, you know, when they, after one, two, three, most people wouldn't even get that far, right? Exactly. But that determination. And he felt in his soul, I am a writer. This is my craft. I'm going to stay true to it. And, and he persevered, right? So it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a decision you have to make every day. When you publish that first book and you put it out there in the world and it's it's received by your friends and family initially, is there that momentum behind it? If that is your primary goal, that's probably where you're going to stop. Your motivation, I find, can't come from the desire for commercial success, not for writing books. You nailed it. Not for writing books. It's too arduous a process it's too it's too lengthy a process for that to be your motivating factor yeah you have to love it yeah you'll you'll, you'll throw in the towel pretty early if that's your only factor yeah. i'd love to make a lot of money off my books but the reason i write is i love the process yeah. i love stretching my um, limits of my knowledge hitting hitting walls in my writing having to work through them if you're looking to make a whole bunch of money as an author you're 
probably going to be disappointed. I, I think about the writing world similar to maybe Hollywood or, or a better comparison might be golf. Lots of people pick up a golf club, but very few people. I might become Tiger Woods, but I got a better chance of getting hit by lightning on seven consecutive days, right? On right? seven yes. consecutive days? Or maybe a hundred. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> not going to get there. I, for me, I started playing tennis a few years ago. And Roger Federer has nothing to worry about. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not coming not for coming any of his titles. No. But it is a little bit, especially with writing. If you just look at it commercially, you have a small. You've got your J.K. Rowling's and your Stephen Kings yep. that that basically, deservedly so. They put out an amazing product. They they make most of the money, and then the rest are kind of you know the crumbs are left, right? So we need most of us writers have careers and jobs and 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 this is sort of a sideline thing that we're passionate about for me it actually started a um and i'm still a ways from retirement but i i noticed i saw a few people from my company that retired and, and kind of struggled with with finding their way in retirement they right. suddenly lost their nine to five and the rug's been pulled out from under so for me i i kind of started planning on that i i gotta have some structure and I got to have something I'm passionate about. And that was one of the reasons I really got into writing. I, yeah. I'm looking forward several years, but then I fell in love with the process so much that in the present, I've, I've gone a lot further with it than I than I might have intended. So. Well, I think you come by it naturally, right? You did your BA in English. You have this passion from when you were a kid, all those stickers that you got. That kind of lays the foundation for how you view creative writing to begin with. If, you know you saw it as a chore as a kid and you didn't if you didn't do your BA in English and didn't kind of follow that path if you didn't have that love of reading I'm not entirely sure that that's something that you would have turned your mind to but you know this is the path that you're on and as you had mentioned you journal anyway that's part of who you are so it just kind of came naturally right that and and you said you wrote your first book longhand as an extension of your right. journal writing right which is phenomenal so that leads me to a question about your book in your book you structure it in such a way that you ask the reader to reflect and that's very clearly coming from your your journaling perspective but also for your nine to five you teach adults right so that's also coming from that teacher perspective part of journaling and, and part of uh, teaching especially training adults is uh, you're asking people to reflect to consider what's in front of them and then maybe find the, the best way to apply that to your life because I wanted the book to be for the reader a little bit of an experience and that I didn't just want them to take in the information I wanted them to see where they fit into the world of travel and maybe how we're, they can fit a little more travel in their life. So, so yeah, that was, that was deliberate to have people reflecting, have them do some exercises. Um, cause I thought that was a little better way for people to take what was on the page and maybe bring it out into their own life. Yeah. And I found myself reflecting on a couple of the things that you would put in there. No spoilers, but, uh, it, you know. the butler did it. <laughs> no, that's a different book. That's a different book. That's my book. <laughs> But uh, I found it really, it really did a great job of drawing you into the experience. Um, I don't typically read a lot of nonfiction. So 
when I sat down with your book and, and you know, you're telling the story, you kind of set up these scenarios and you talk a lot about your experience and, you know, the different places that you've traveled to and the different types of challenges that one might experience and how to think about going to certain places or the people that you're going to be traveling with. All of this proactive thinking and, and research, I found that really, really interesting and in how it applies to just kind of life in general. And I think you were making that point. These are kind of the exercises that you need to do to be a well-rounded, grounded human being. Don't forget to also apply it to your travel because people often look at travel as, wee, it's fun, and right. off they go, and they run into all manner of trouble. And and it certainly can be, but uh, if you haven't done any upfront planning, or you haven't thought of a few different things, or maybe learned from the experiences of others, you're probably going to learn on that trip, but it might not be pleasant. Oh, right? pleasant, yeah. I remember one time I opened up a fortune cookie, and the message said something like, uh, good decisions come from experience, Experience comes from bad decisions, right? And I thought, how profound that it's pretty so much sums It's so funny. Up. When I read that in your book, I had the most serious wave of deja vu come over me. We must be getting our fortune cookies from exactly the same place. <laughs> <laughs> but I reflected on that because when I opened that fortune cookie for myself, I chuckled. Is there no truer statement than this? How many times... Particularly in writing, you've made a bad decision and now yeah. you know going forward with your next book, okay, I'm going to avoid that particular pitfall. Right. I'm going to come at it this way. So your hand is no longer going to hurt and right. your, you know, your, your mind isn't going to race faster than, than your hand can write. You've made that decision. Now you're, you've incorporated technology into your process. Yeah. Well, well, and something else that just came to me that I, I struggled a little bit with as a first time author, and I think it's very common, was as I neared the end, I got so excited to release the book. And I was so timid about the process that yeah. only, literally only my wife knew that I was writing a book. Yeah. I didn't even tell anyone, didn't tell my dad, my brothers, my friends until I released it. And I was so, it was like I had this massive surprise in front of me. And I so wanted at various times to just get it out there and enjoy that. But I had to say, okay, it's not quite ready yet. I'm not quite there. So, and then the interesting thing happened after I released it and let everyone know. And I actually, after I basically hit, hit publish and had it pop up on Amazon, I actually almost feel like I was, like I was going to throw up. Yeah. I remember for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my God, what have I done? All of a sudden this, this these crashing waves of doubt yes. uh, just came in on me. And I thought, oh, I, I don't know. Oh, what my, have I every, done? Yeah, everyone, <laughs> gonna read everyone this. that loves me and respects me is going to read this. And oh, I hope I don't let them down. But uh, yeah. That, it's so funny that you, that you mentioned that. And it, like you said, it's something that I'm going to say every debut author, every, especially an indie author, feels. Because you... You are the machine. You are everything. You're the writer, the editor, the marketer. Yep. You're, you're everything. And when you hit publish on Amazon and off it goes into the KDP stratosphere, mm -hmm. that 
sensation that please don't judge me too harshly, <laughs> but also please be excited about this and buy it so I can be a Amazon bestseller like you. <laughs> um, that combination of emotions is so palpable. And I know when it happens around here, my husband just kind of like backs away and right. like leaves me to process the emotions that I need to process. And then when I'm, when I'm ready, then I'm like, woohoo! And he's like, okay, it's safe. I can join in. <laughs> we yeah. can celebrate yeah. together. My, my niece, who's nine years old, calls that phenomenon, she refers to it as being nervous-sighted. Nervous and excited. They often feel like the same thing. There's excitement, there's a lot of pleasure, but then there's a lot of nerves and fear. So for me, releasing that first book was like being nervous-sighted on steroids. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was a whirlwind for, for a few days there. And I'm very much an introvert, but that's the stage of the, the publishing game where you've got to put yourself out there and you've yes. got to be outgoing and you've got to really interact with people. So that was pushing myself out of my, my comfort zone as well. So in, in a in a in a most positive way, in a great way, but but still nonetheless, yeah. That can be hard though. My friends say that I am an extrovert. I would not necessarily agree with that assessment fully, yeah. but I still find putting myself out there like that to be quite challenging when there are opportunities to go to you know meetups whether they mm -hmm. in this covid time be virtual meetups or in person uh prior to to this covid era there are book shows or you know you have to approach booksellers or or libraries or whatever to kind of do that constant pitching i am not on like <laughs> that and so that's been a challenge for me sure yeah. so yeah many of us writers tend to be introverts and i think that's why we end up writing we tend to spend a little more space in our own minds yeah. uh, we tend to process the world a little more thoughtfully and i think that's what really lends itself into the page for me a really great experience was i read the book i think it was published about 10 years ago the author's name is susan kane and it, it the the book is called quiet okay. and if you're an introvert and you really want to get a sense of how we view the world and, and really the advantages of being an introvert because our culture really really epitomizes being an extrovert right but yeah. but introverts have so many advantages in so many ways and the book really opened up my mind i try to think to give myself some mental and emotional flexibility i try to think of introversion and extroversion on more of a sliding scale yes. because i have been a trainer and i have done a lot of public speaking and i quite enjoy it and i largely feel comfortable with it so that doesn't maybe mesh well with the idea that uh, I'm just going to put myself in this little room and not really interact with the world. So I, I think just like the writing process forces you to be mentally flexible and then you reach that publicizing stage of the game, yeah, you have to be a little more flexible with your personality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. It's it's on a sliding exactly, scale. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we... We label ourselves or people label us when we're kids. And I think people are well-meaning, but sometimes those can become like cages for us. Right, and exactly. We really take that on. Uh, for me, when I was a kid, I always considered myself book smart. And uh, I don't, some of the adults around me really latched onto that. And at some point I started to tell myself that I really wasn't that good at hands-on work. And it actually wasn't until I became a homeowner and I was forced to you know fix a few things i mean youtube is wonderful for the how-to's that i really started to challenge that i thought wow i was 
kind of laboring under this concept for most of my life that I was really good at just intellectual things, but I found some of these hands-on things, I quite enjoy them. And with, with a bit of persistence, I can, uh, yeah. I can excel. So. And, I, and I think the hands-on stuff is aided by the intellectual stuff and your persistence just kind of sees the whole process exactly. through to fruition. Yeah. So the next uh, mental trap for myself I need to confront is I, I often tell, I'm not good at technical stuff. So my brain just shuts down and then yeah. your brain shuts down and you tell it, well, you're not going to learn, right? And then it, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? Yeah. So part of being an indie author is uh, I got to, you know, do things like put up a website, have some social media. Yeah. So I've, I've done a little bit there, but I've, I've hit some reluctance and some fear and, oh, I'm too tired. I don't have enough time. So the usual excuses are coming out. But yeah, at some point uh, to, to make my next sort of stage leap as an author I need to to challenge that yeah. yeah and you know as somebody who has stepped into that realm um it can be challenging and when you run into technical issues once you've decided to conquer your fear and step into that realm you're going to run into technical issues and I can say from personal experience that there are times I'm just like forget it yep Shutting the whole thing down. Yeah. And, and the trick is figuring out when I can persevere and when I can do this. And then sometimes you guess, I'm not going to learn this. I need help. Maybe right. i got to pay someone. I'm never going to write code, right? Exactly. I don't understand it. Just like I don't understand Bitcoin, maybe the overall concept. There's just certain things I'm not going to get there, right? right. So, right. you know, as authors, sometimes you got to learn to, if I want to expand my circle of competence, it's okay to ask for help, right? And that's the thing. You have to be willing to ask for help. And that, just as a human thing, we're so reluctant to reach out and right. admit our uh, foibles or our, our in, inadequacies. And, and it's not even necessarily that. It's just, I am good at this thing. I am not good at this thing. This other person is. Let me just kind of swallow my pride for a moment and reach out and ask for help because that person is probably very willing to help me. And the only thing that's stopping me is me. Right. And as indie authors, yeah. That, and that's a huge yeah. issue for indie authors. Yeah. Right from the beginning of the concept laying, like you were saying earlier, you know, you've always wanted to write a book. You just didn't think that you had the experience or sorry, the, the expertise to do it. You didn't have enough subject matter or knowledge. I'm trying to use your word, <laughs> your, your, your term there. But clearly you do. You are living it. You, you do it for work. You journal to get peace of mind. So you, the groundwork was very much there. It's just getting that extra bit of confidence to make that next step and then to reach out to those who might know a little bit about the, not necessarily the subject that you're that you're working on, but the publishing world. Yes, I want to write a book. Here, I've written this book. What do I do next? And there are lots of people and lots of places where you can go to get that information. So it's just, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Just but in many ways, don't we live in a wonderful age as, as, as far as being an independent author? Like so many barriers have come down. The bar for being able to publish and the help that's that's available is just because uh, I think of growing up you know you go into the library and that you'd see all the books and you think how does that book get how there did that right get there exactly. does, does the author and, and I, 
I'm thinking back to the 1980s, right? Yeah. So long before the internet and... and I'm computer. right now at a Scholastic Book Fair. Right. So <laughs> someone sits down at a typewriter, types that out their book. How does it get from A to B, right? right? They put it in the mail, I suppose. They send it to all the publishers. Someone in a skyscraper in Manhattan looks at it, yay or nay. But the odds of actually getting published are probably... We're probably a abysmally low right yeah and but we live in the age now with just like podcasting the technology is there that if if you have the motivation uh if you want to create the product yep. uh the, the platforms are there it's that that was really i think what gave me that final little push to pursue a book was i saw the systems that were in place for for independent authors and how far it had come and it's actually it's it's a very I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here but it's very indicative of where the publishing industry has gone uh, independent authors have exploded in the last five or ten years yeah. as, as yeah. the barriers have come down and the whole structure of the industry has really changed as well i obviously you first think of amazon but some of the other online retailers uh, the publishing industry at one point was all predicated on books and mortar and actual print books. Yes. So that's why you always saw such a huge push when a book first came out. We have six weeks or eight weeks. We got to sell as many copies as we can yep. because a bookstore only has so much room. And then, after, well, let's get it out. We got to bring in the newest book, right? Mm -hmm. But now think of a bookstore that's limitless yeah. and doesn't have any walls and really can encompass the whole world. That's what we live in right now. Yeah. And, and 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 it's amazing and it also it also um, gives me peace of mind and a, a little more sense of groundedness as an author because I know that my book uh, in the e-reader age will be just as fresh to the person that picks it up five or ten years from now it's 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 going to be new to that person it's what they refer to an industry as an evergreen product right, right. it's always fresh yeah. I, I i mentioned uh, ian fleming well uh, earlier this year i read his entire collection of 13 or 14 james bond novels those are written 50 60 years ago but yeah. to me it was brand new and it was fresh and that's that's one of the the huge advantages of, of of the virtual world and you know e-readers and um, it's just it's 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 to my younger self it's almost science fiction right then I can have my smartphone and my e-reader and I've got the world's biggest library right yeah, yeah. and it happened so quickly that we almost kind of took it for granted we took right it for granted we yeah. really really did yeah 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 and you know struggling to kind of catch up with the acceptability of that in the traditional publishing world. That has been an interesting conversation that I've had many times about the legitimacy of being a self-published author and how that is viewed or was viewed up until fairly recently as a negative. You couldn't hack it, yeah. so you had to go this route. Yeah. But imagine the control you have when you decide for yourself, I'm just going to do it. The amount of commitment that it brought you to that moment where you've written the book in the first place, for you to be stopped by that skyscraper in Manhattan? Who <laughs> are you to say to me th that somebody out there isn't going to enjoy this product that I've mm -hmm. created? Mm -hmm. I'm going around you, skyscraper in Manhattan, and I'm <laughs> going to do this myself. And there isn't anyone who, who can say to me, and this goes to your evergreen point, that oh, well, we're not selling enough copies. We're yanking it. 
and it'll sit in a dusty warehouse Mm -hmm. for the rest of eternity (laughs) you know heaven forbid at that point they also ask you for the rest of your advance back (laughs) (laughs) you've already spent it yeah it's it's not coming back (laughs) um you know you have the opportunity to say oh yeah you know i wrote this book 17 years ago and it's still available you want to pick it up on kindle or kobo or google books or apple books or iBooks, i guess it's called it's available yeah and like you said, the information, particularly the information in, in your book, while the, I'm sure in, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, the global landscape is going to look different. The principles of travel, the things that you need to kind of think about as you're embarking on the research stage or when you get there, kind of how you want to structure your trip and different things to kind of keep in mind, those principles yep. remain true exactly that last bonus chapter on uh, covid and travel that's got to be long outdated already well you know what though <laughs> what i found interesting about that chapter is you know today it's covid but we would be naive to think that there isn't going to be another major health crisis that doesn't exactly. come up in the next 15 years or so exactly so while that information may become stale i think it, in fact, is a is an important marker for the time it was written. Mm-hmm. You can't say that you wrote it without being mindful of the time that you live in. I think that, that it was a great idea to put something like that in. It's like a time capsule, right? Yeah. It really kind of places it in a moment, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I'm glad you brought it up, Abby, the issue of uh, indie authors. And I know... At one point, that was a real, almost like a stigma or a taboo. Yeah. You were looked at, wow, you weren't good enough to make it in the publishing industry. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but thankfully, that that really has started to come down over the last few years. Because there have been pockets of people that went the indie route and then it just exploded, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they sold tons of copies. And the royalty model for being an indie author compared to the traditional model is, is very advantageous, especially on ebooks. Uh, for instance, Kindle, as long as you're priced under $10, you get 70% royalties, yeah. which, is, which is unheard of, right? I believe in the traditional publishing, you're closer to 15 or 20. And that model has become so lucrative. I know there's a... F- I can't think of specific names off the top of my head. I know a few high-profile authors that were well known and had a very established base and they've moved to that model just because it's 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 that much more profitable, right? Mm-hmm. And thankfully there's a lot more of us around now, so I think we can we can support each other and uh you know, we can we can we can grow our businesses, our our, our writing careers. Uh for me, I never really considered submitting to traditional that the indie model always appealed to me right off the bat and there may have been uh, a confidence issue there right you know for everyone that actually gets published by traditional I've I was told there was hundreds or thousands that and don't even send it unsolicited right Mm -hmm. so I didn't really even go down that avenue right but I, I I gravitated towards more towards the indie route I thought I just really want to write a book right? right so like you said that can become a hard barrier to actually getting that book I want to write a book and then maybe if that goes well a second a third and and just see where it takes me right so exactly. I, as you say I, I just enjoy the process so much I didn't want to put up any huge roadblock that that stopped me in my tracks because especially my first book it was like it was like a seedling right it was very fragile 
and it might grow up to be a great big tree, but it's it's very vulnerable, right? And it wouldn't take much for someone to come along and crush it, and that's the end of my seedling, right? Yeah. So. And you know, as, as somebody who is currently querying, it can be um, it can be a little bit soul crushing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Receive a number of uh, rejections for something that you work so hard on and, and yeah. you have so much faith in and confidence in and there's there's a couple things about that traditional publishing model that that are great and then there are some that are you know not so great you had mentioned the the royalty structure when you're given the advance and when people hear you know oh an author got an advance they're thinking like sarah ferguson kind of advance oh it's seven million dollars to yeah. write a, an expose on the yeah. the monarchy no 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 we're talking maybe five figures, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And often four figures. It's not that exciting mm-hmm. when you're talking about uh, advances, yeah. particularly in Canada. And I mean, as you whittle it down per demographic, etc. I read a tweet yesterday that an agent was talking about how a book she sold finally earned out its advance. Right. For those of you who don't know what earning out means, it means that the money that was advanced to you for the book has, you finally met that cap and now you can start earning royalties. Right. It took 10 years to earn out the advance. That is amazing. I mean, one, you've earned out your advance. Kudos. Yay. You've done it. That's awesome. But 10 years? Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic that the book was still in print yeah. uh, 10 years later, but... Can you imagine if that was, again, if your primary goal was commercial success? Yeah. Don't go into writing. There's there's other ways that are going to be more lucrative and a lot quicker, yeah. Right. It's a bit daunting mm-hmm. to think, you know, especially the, the hoops that you jump through and the amount of disappointment and, and rejection that you're going to receive up to the point where somebody actually says, yep, we want this one. It's, it's not an easy road. No, it's not no. Easy and the traditional publishing industries is for those in the know and those in the ins, it's changing quickly. It's it's obviously like any system. It's normally undergoing change, but it's been at hyperspeed the last five or ten years. And yeah. and they're feeling pressure from you know ebooks and and the move towards being an independent. Uh, I heard one well known book agent say recently. Then we were talking about advances, and this is for commercially successful writers that. In terms of advance, $30,000 is the new 100000 right? So. Yeah, you can't quit your job for that. <laughs> that that's not a good idea. <laughs> Jay and I had a lot to say that day that we sat down to chat. So much so, it couldn't fit into one episode. Join me next week as Jason and I continue our conversation. We touch on the subject of scope creep and how it applies to both writing and travel. We talk inspiration, family, and we get to know him a little bit better with a written by Grimes rapid fire. I hope you tune in next week. Have a great day. Be sure to click the link in the episode description to get yourself a copy of Jason's book. Going Places, Why You Should Travel. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook.